obviously Russ is, he's one of the most polarizing players, certainly in, in, in recent history. Uh, just wrapped up a five-year, right, he's still getting paid out, but the contract is he's done, a five-year, five-team Supermax deal, unprecedented in NBA history, quite an accomplishment in and of itself. Um, I'm fascinated to see how this is going to work. Welcome to the CJ McCollum Show. I am currently in Houston, Texas. I'll explain later. Izzy Gutierrez is having some computer difficulties. He's going through all-star break and has decided that um, he needs a break from the show. I'm just kidding. He'll be back soon. He'll be back eventually. Uh, we're being joined by special guest Tim McMahon. Appreciate you joining. Um, he is not on vacation any longer, but we'll also get into that shortly. I just want to briefly talk about the all-star game itself um, for a second here. As a player who's never played in it, um, I've been able to watch for years and study how the game has kind of shifted, how competitive they get in the beginning of the game versus the end of the game when it kind of matters. And for some reason, this one wasn't very competitive Mm -mm. all throughout. Did you watch the entire game? Uh, It was on the TV the entire game. It uh, It was my last full night in Bermuda. Um, so I can't say the All-Star game was a, a top priority for me, nor was it for any of the players who actually were on the floor, uh, did it appear. And, and look, we understand the way this thing, these things go, especially with the Elam ending now, which I do think has juiced up the competitive level, at least until this season. And it's basically like, you know, you, it's a, it's a layup line. It's a dunk show. It's, it's, you know, Dame pulling up from half court, long threes, dunks, all that kind of stuff until the the it gets competitive in the fourth quarter we never got to the until it gets competitive in the fourth quarter part uh, on this one i agree i had it on the tv i actually ended up falling asleep i woke up and jason tatum had 55 points <laughs> and donovan mitchell had 40 points and 10 assists and i thought to myself wow this got out of, out of hand quickly but i am glad to see a lot of guys hit their bonuses i think dame shot 23s he hit he hit two from half court <laughs> guys were locked in i think there was a handshake at the beginning maybe that let's just do what we got to do to make sure we all hit our bonuses like mm-hmm. throughout this game everybody scored everybody got assists everybody got dunks they even threw lobs the joker off the backboard which i thought was was very funny but all in all i think the fans are right we have to <clears throat> We have to do something about this game and figure out a way to make it more competitive. I think uh, Van Gundy said a million dollars per player on the winning team paid out immediately after the game. I will say if they do that, I expect the game will get a little bit more competitive. I mean, and, and you got to put a show out of it if you do that. Like not just not a check. No, pay it out like a give you guys a big old like Louis Vuitton duffel bag just stuffed with bills. Um, not that you could do a whole lot of places in Salt Lake City with that, but you know when it, when the All Star Game is perhaps in other locations, might be able to put them uh, to to use immediately, or you know wherever those private jets are are landing a couple hours later. Yeah, I, I will say the All Star was better than I thought it would be in Salt Lake City in terms of the beauty. Like Salt Lake is a beautiful place with the mountains in the backdrop. Obviously, it's cold, but not quite as cold as the All-Stars that we've experienced in Toronto or New York or some of those East Coast places. Um, Park City is not far. Mm-hmm. I definitely enjoyed my my first time being in Park City. I thought that was a really cool experience. And seeing how different the snow looks uh, on the mountains there was, was cool. So I will say it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And I think the turnout in terms of fans, players, families, the 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 perception of Salt Lake and then spending you know a few days there I think it definitely shifted for a lot of people and although Shaq says it's a room service city I did eat at, <laughs> eat at a couple of restaurants um, because I needed to get out of the hotel for a little bit yeah no doubt and it sounded like the weather for it being Utah in February cooperated right it wasn't like yeah. you walk out and it's it's two degrees eight degrees so uh, the weather cooperated Ryan Smith uh, who's a very proud Utah resident, obviously the, the new owner of the Jazz. I know this this whole weekend was a huge source of pride for him. He's very uh, invested in changing the perception of uh, not just Salt Lake City, but of Utah. He loves talking about the Silicon Slopes. You know, he's a tech billionaire whose company's set up in Utah. So 
you know, definitely something that was, uh, was important to him. And look, are you ever going to convince NBA players at large that like Salt Lake city is, is, you know, quote unquote, a cool place to be hashtag nightlife to borrow from, from Andre. No, you're not. But, uh, I, I think there are probably worse places that uh, as far as being able to host an all-star weekend. There definitely are worse places. Some would argue that the next year is the worst place. Uh, I won't <laughs> comment on that. Some would argue that in previous years, for instance, the place that I was born in could be considered a worse place. Mm-hmm. It definitely was much colder in Cleveland than it, than it probably should have been. Talked about Ryan Smith. I'm going to mention this briefly. Ryan Smith is, great in my eyes really really good human being in terms of things he's doing in that community how he's kind of empowered players the conversations that i've had behind closed doors with him have been very helpful and he recommended a great italian restaurant for my wife and i to go to so shout out to ryan smith we truly do appreciate it he talked about bermuda we're going to get into vacation spots for a second before we talk about returning to play and the fact that there's only 23 games left top five destinations to travel during all-star break well, okay. Are we talking about on a sports writer's budget or are we talking about on a, uh, on an NBA player's budget? Cause we're talking about two completely different things. Here. <laughs> Give me sports writer's budget first, because, you know, I do work for the worldwide leader uh, as well. Go. And then give me the other side of the fence. Okay. So the sports writer's budget, what you do is you log on to the Marriott site and you punch in paying with points, right? But to me, if you're taking a vacation and it's going to be a quick getaway on All-Star Weekend, you know, little extended weekend, I want to be a, I want to be on a beach. We did Bermuda this year because I'd never been there before. I think the, the Mexico beaches, whether it's Cabo, Cancun, because it's only going to be maybe four nights. You're not going to have time to fly across the world. If it, you know, you're not there long enough. So to me, those would be the, the top two spots. Uh, like I said, Cancun. Cabo, you know, you can talk about Bahamas, uh, Puerto Rico, those type of places. Quick flight and a beach. That's that's kind of the key ingredients there. I like it. I like it. I think although the budget is different, the mindset is very similar mm-hmm. um, to the NBA players. I actually went to Park City because it was close. Uh, so my wife and I decided, hey, like, we don't want to take any flights. 45-minute drive, 22, 25 miles from from downtown Salt Lake City. Still beautiful, less people, less crowded. Beautiful hotel there on the side of a mountain. Got to go to the spa, Mm -hmm. set some things up where we could kind of relax. Went out to eat, went and got drinks. Uh, It was a really nice change of speed. And since we now live in the South, we're used to 70-degree weather. So it was like, let's visit the snow and then get away from the snow. So that Mm -hmm. was our mindset. But I would say most players... If you're West, if you end West, it's a, it's a strategy, right? So if you play in LA, Utah, Sacramento, Portland, one of those teams that's on the West Denver, then you fly to Cabo. It just makes the Mm -hmm. most sense. It's close. It's efficient. It's easy. If you're in the South, you do Cancun. Was it Playa de Carmen or how you say it? Yep. Mm -hmm. You do one of those places. And if you're on a max deal, like Jimmy Butler, for instance, you go to (laughs) Europe, go to Argentina, or somewhere like that. So I would say those are the most frequent places. I know as the president of the PA, we normally host something in the Bahamas, which is very easy to get to. And mm-hmm. a lot of our younger players take us up on that because it's a, it's basically a free trip to the Bahamas where you can get a plus one, you can kind of relax, you go to some meetings, and then you enjoy the beach. And then for the younger players who don't want to leave the United States, they do California or Miami. So I think those are the... Is, is Vegas mixtures. a big player? I have not heard of a lot of players going to Vegas during All-Star. Okay. I think that's more of a gambler's paradise during All-Star break right. where like you got guys that just want to go play cards or gamble or things mm-hmm. of that nature. But for guys that like the beach and they don't want to leave, they go to Miami or or something of that sort. So I would say that although the budget's different, we're pretty close in that regard. And with <laughs> Without further ado, we want to welcome Izzy Gutierrez back to the, to the podcast. I, I I briefly joke with our with our listeners that you may have quit um, during All Star Break. <laughs> you know what? It was man. Do I sound uh, hollow? Do I sound pretty echoey? Or does that sound okay? Sounds okay. Right. Yeah, uh, I would say probably halfway through um, Sims's dunk contest, I was considering never doing another uh, <laughs> NBA related topic again, but here we are. 
Oh, Truth is, though, I just had uh, issues on the road and, you know, in Atlanta, I couldn't really get my um, my computer set up, but here I am. Gotcha. No, no worries. You didn't miss much. We were just going over top five places to vacation during All-Star break, going with a sports writer's budget and then looking at the <laughs> NBA player's budget to kind of give that compare and contrast. But surprisingly, it's similar locations based on wherever you're finishing. If you're finishing the West Coast, generally speaking, you're probably going to Cabo or somewhere like that. And if you're finishing on the East or South, you may want to go to Cancun. And if you got Jimmy Butler type money, <laughs> then you're, you're, you're going to Europe. <laughs> I do the in-season uh, ski trip, which is not really something that a whole bunch of uh, NBA players can do because they got to play basketball. And they're also really tall. And I don't know if that really works well for skiing, but I'm uh, going actually to Idaho next week. So next week, technically, I, I do quit the podcast. Well, that's, that's good. I'm glad you could be on this week, but I'm also glad you're getting a break because we all need breaks that last longer than four nights um, during All-Star Weekend. But that's another discussion for another time. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We have 23 games left, right? This podcast will come out Thursday morning, Thursday night. We'll be playing against the Toronto Raptors. I basically said for us to finish top four, we probably got to go 16 and seven. I guess my question to the audience and, and to you guys is how quickly does this 23 games go and how early on during this stretch can you tell which teams are trying to make the playoffs and which teams are trying their best? Um, not to make the playoffs. All right, Tim. Well, listen, there's some pretty obvious ones that try or not, like they don't have a chance. And at this point, winning is counterproductive. Um, just for example, Tillman Fertitta was hosting a, a big Mardi Gras thing in, in Galveston. And he had a man on the street thing with uh, one of the Houston TV stations. And Tillman had his, you know, the, the Mardi Gras face paint. He had the beads, he had a, uh, a beverage in hand. And in that interview, Tillman stammered out the words, pray for Victor. Well, <laughs> not that we needed that subtle little hint, but obviously Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, Charlotte, this is pray for Victor, settle for Scoot, and, you know, th th that sort of a thing. The Jazz, for example, you know, just hosted the All-Star game. Well, it's not a, it's not a great mystery, right? You see that they they traded uh, three guys who have been, you know, Mike Conley's been kind of the rock of their team this year. Then they traded two other guys who have been key rotation players <laughs> for really nothing immediate in return, a future pick. But it's also getting young guys time, <clears throat> player development. And, you know, it's not about trying to make the playoffs this year. Um, but I definitely think that uh, even with Victor at the top of the draft, it hasn't been as competitive a, a tank of Palooza as maybe we anticipated. You know, seriously, like a team like Orlando has been competitive for the last couple months. Oklahoma City uh, has a chance to be a, a, a play-in team. Um, you know, Indiana, before Halliburton got hurt especially, has, has been competitive. So uh, much less of that than maybe anticipated considering there is 
a once in a lifetime type of prospect at the top of the draft. Pray for Victor doesn't really have the ring to it that I think it should. <laughs> um, in fact, it actually kind of uh, doesn't really work for him, but it does work for like maybe the number three pick in the draft, Amen Thompson. Pray for Amen. Mm, huh? There you go. I think oh. that one's not too bad. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think you're right in terms of uh, like a team like the Magic, right? At some point, you've got to sort of turn the vibes, right? You've got to change it from, hey, we're rebuilding to, hey, we have something here. And whether or not that means, you know, making the playoffs, um, I really don't think it matters for a team like that. I think it means, you know, next year there are playoff expectations. So this year, uh, the last thing you want is sort of, you know, that tanking feeling toward the end. You really want to sort of get the integrity of finishing strong and and making people want to join that group, which is, is you know, a really, a really good group. I was laughing, the, not laughing, I was kind of giggling inside, just thinking, uh, reading where uh, Pat Bev is going to Chicago for their playoff push, which... Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought it was more of a play in push, first of all, but, uh, you know, I don't know if they can really get that together or what the, what the value of them in particular, the Chicago team like that making a play in and, and, you know, probably getting bounced in one game or two. So, you know, I, I think there's, you know, the Charlottes, the Detroits, the Spurs and the Houston's of the world that are basically at the bottom of it. And, and that's about it. Um, after that, I think, you know, I think the league has basically benefited what it thought it would from this play-in situation. You know, CJ, you actually, you were obviously traded last year in the middle of a season for a team or to a team that easily could have gone the tank route. What, what did the Pelicans start last year? Like three and 16, you know, Zion was out the whole uh, year. Um, Ingram was, was hurt a lot early in the season. They got off to a really rough start. And I'll be honest with you, when they made that trade, I'm like, dude, like the tank is, is, is right there, easily accessible and, and honestly forgivable. Um, and then they made a, a win now move to go get uh, a big time score. And I underestimated uh, two things. Number one, how much your veteran presence would really impact that franchise as a whole. And then number two, how much uh, the push for the playoffs being competitive in the playoffs could really kind of, lay the foundation and, and, you know, as you said, is he changed the vibes for, uh, for the franchise. And so, you know, like I said, you, you're a perfect example of, of being in a situation where the Pelicans could have gone the tank route. They chose to not just be competitive, but be aggressively competitive, making a, a major move. And, you know, despite the fact that injuries have, have, you know, got you guys uh, where you are right now, right around 500, um, I, I think it's safe to say that that move has paid dividends. Yeah, I would agree. I think a lot of organizations look themselves in the mirror to try to figure out which direction they want to go. And I think some of that is predicated on the talent within the roster. Some of that is predicated on pressure from up above mm -hmm. in terms of upper management, if you will. And then I think another part of that is the draft. Who's in the draft? How impactful do they think their pick's going to be? You look at drafts historically, one, two, three, four, five, six. Two of the six are probably franchise-altering players. Three or four of those picks is probably not going to be what you expect. And I think a lot of franchises are realizing that if we got a chance to win now, we can develop players later. If we get the, the 17th pick instead of the, the ninth pick, does it really make a difference? And I think a lot of teams are, are taking that approach. You look at us. Obviously, we're a team that's not playing for the lottery, although we have lots of lottery picks. Would be nice to see the Lakers do poorly down the stretch, so maybe we could take their pick. But with some of the moves they made, that may not happen. But looking at us, we talked about this offline a little bit. We're one of those teams that obviously our best player, Zion, is out right now. B.I. has come back. It's it's made the game a lot easier for myself. A lot of our role players, um, people are kind of assuming roles that they expected to play in the beginning of the year and are kind of settling back in. We're having practice as we record this at 6 p.m. We don't play until Thursday. For the listeners out there, today is Tuesday. A lot of teams wouldn't be practicing today. A lot of teams will be practicing on Wednesday, and certain players probably wouldn't be showing up until Thursday. So I say all this to say that we're in the mindset of winning now, developing our players now, taking advantage of um, the opportunity that's in front of us. You guys have been in the NBA for a long, long time. How often have you seen a Tuesday practice for a Thursday game post-All-Star break? 
that, that's aggressive. I usually it's day before, you know, as we talk about CJ, sometimes it's, hey, let's just have a, you know, we'll have a kind of a longer shoot around uh, day of two days out. It's pretty aggressive. Now you got, there's a young core. Um, I, I understand it. Um, <laughs> I don't know how exactly they sold you on this whole idea. <laughs> I don't know if they did sell you on the idea. They might just said, hey, CJ, here's the schedule and hope you didn't notice until it was too late. <laughs> Awful for a SAR Thompson. Yeah, you're still working on slow. <laughs> I'm still working on those. No, but uh, I don't think I've I don't think I've seen that. Maybe like back in the Pat Riley days, he would practice whenever whenever he really wanted to. Frankly, but um, it's funny you mentioned because uh, LeBron James had those. What did he say? It was 23 some 23 of the most important regular season games of his career. And I just imagine Griff and your front office like cheering against them so hard, like this just mm. duel, <laughs> this just clash of like LeBron's it's super important. No, it's more important for the Pelicans. And uh, I could see them cheering against the Lakers or hate watching the Lakers all season long. But uh, Tim, I was wondering, because you talked about teams that make a trade to sort of change the tone. The Dallas Mavericks adding Kyrie. Um, a, I want to know like how he's being sort of received in, in Dallas. Um, if you have any insight on that, but then also just what that future plan is like, if they can't, you know, find, you know, lightning in a bottle and win a championship this year, what is the plan? You mean if LeBron's recruiting efforts are successful? Well, I mean, it's obvious that that's part of the discussion, right? The all-star weekend was, was thick with that. Look, it's uh, I, I would say that, this franchise was so starved for a second star that whatever has happened with Kyrie in terms of, you know, previous uh, runs with franchises ending the, you know, the way they ended, like people in Dallas don't give a crap about that. They don't care how things ended in Brooklyn or Boston or Cleveland. They do care that in Cleveland, Kyrie was a co-superstar alongside LeBron James on a championship team because that's obviously what the hopes are here in Dallas. And there, there was an, there's an understanding. Like fans understand the way that the NBA works. Franchises certainly understand the way that the NBA works. What I'm talking about is when you have a bona fide MVP candidate, you can't be mediocre and then get midway through that second contract and wonder, uh, whoa, what, what, what do you mean you, what do you mean you want out? Like you can't get to where Luca has two years out and not have given him a chance to win a championship. And look, we can go down the road of how badly they botched the Jalen Brunson thing, which the guys averaged about 30 a game since, uh, in, in 2023, since January. Um, but they desperately needed a superstar. And it's not like you can go to the store. There's not a superstar store. So if they didn't pounce on this chance for, to get Kyrie, well, you got a, some hopefullys and some maybes this summer that frankly weren't going to be as talented. And then the fallback plan, this is what really, ooh, Mavs fans don't like this because they've been down this road before. The Mavericks would have significant cap space. They'd have to do some tinkering, some pretty major financial maneuver and actually to get to a max slot, but they'd have cap space. Uh, they would have his bird rights. You know, maybe there's some value there in terms of sign and trade, but you're not giving up an unprotected 2029 pick, a valued three and D player in Dorian Finney-Smith, who is one of Luca's favorite teammates, and you know, quality guard and Spencer Dinwiddie, just for an expensive rental. Obviously, you want this to be a long-term relationship, but you all look. You made this trade understanding there's not going to be extension talks. He's up this summer, and Clearly, there is going to be a market for him led by the Lakers. CJ, I'm wondering where where you like NBA stars sort of figure this out, where it's just like, because Lucas still hasn't, you know, he hasn't gotten all the individual accolades. He hasn't won MVP. He hasn't, you know, taken his team to the finals and say, hey, I need that, just that next step. But like, when does he relinquish that individual desire to be, best in the league type of guy and then say no no it's okay like I'm already at the point where I just want to win because it seems like he really has a lot of fun being that center of the universe guy yeah I think Luca's situation is different because he's so young right like there's plenty of time left for him to continue to grow and evolve as a player first and foremost plenty of time for him to 
hopefully not soon because I'm in the Western Conference, get back to the Western Conference finals. But I think for him, it's just about taking advantage of the opportunity that's in front of him. He doesn't strike me as the type of player, you can correct me if I'm wrong, to go and complain to management. He he strikes me as the type of player that just does his job. Like regardless of who's out there with him, regardless of circumstances, he strikes me as the type of player that will give input if asked, but won't volunteer input in terms of players. So that for the first four years of his career, that's how it was like, and, and he was basically like, look, I want to hoop front office guys run the front office. Like if you want my input and you ask for it, cool, you can keep me in the loop, but I don't want to be a GM this year. Um, you know, I, I reported a few weeks before this trade was made that, that he had strongly indicated that he wanted an upgrade. Cuban got upset with that, whatever. I'll say this. And he, he has acknowledged that he has been much more involved in the front office discussions. And we can play the semantics game on pushing for upgrades versus, you know, whatever. But uh, I th this year, it, 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 it had become pretty clear that mediocrity while he's having the best season of his career was not acceptable. Well, there's the answer to the, to the casual fan out there. So I think for him, Based on his skill set, based on his talent, he showed that he can win big games down the stretch. He showed that he can carry the low with a high, high usage rate, unlike any usage rate we've probably seen on a player capable of getting to the conference finals. So I think for him, being able to play alongside Kyrie is probably helpful because it pairs him with another star, although it's a star guard. It's mm -hmm. a guard who can fit alongside him because Kai, quiet as kept, is better off the ball, right? Like he can play on the ball, but his best years have historically come when there's another primary ball handler out there so that he can be mm -hmm. shooting guard and then transform back into another point guard for the team. And I think that's why they will play well together because Kai has played with some of the greatest players of all time. He's played with LeBron, obviously. Um, he was played with Kevin Durant, who's, you know, arguably one of the, the 15 greatest players of all time. He played with James Harden, who is a point guard, and mm -hmm. it doesn't get much more dominant in terms of being able to handle the ball and run a possession. And he's also played alongside Jason Tatum for a little bit for that time while he was in Boston. So I think they will pair well together. Who knows how long it's going to last, you know what right. I mean, with, with the NBA. But I think this will give Luka a nice comparison in terms of what it's been like to play against other types of guards, playing alongside a, a high star power guard, and then for them to get into the playoffs and see what happens next. Hopefully they're not a home seed and that we are a home seed. But I, I think this will tell a lot about the future of – what Luca kind of pushes for while he's in Dallas, because it doesn't get much better from a guard standpoint than playing alongside Kyrie. I don't know what else you're going to get. What yeah, is and, the, and go ahead. I was going to say, as you mentioned, it's not like Kyrie's the one who has to adapt. He's been playing off of stars his whole career. Right. Luca has to adapt um, because you know, Brunson has shown this year in New York how good he is. But you know, it was. It was Luca's team, and then Brunson was the second best guy last year. That that, that was pretty clear. Luca hasn't been. He played off the ball some with Real Madrid when he was coming up, but you know that, that he was 16, 17 uh, years old at the time. I think one thing that's huge about this is the Mavericks were just getting killed in the non-Luca minutes, and it got to a point where like Luca might or might not sit at all during the second half of games. Like he'd play, he plays the whole third quarter and he wouldn't check out very often to start the, the fourth quarter. Sometimes he'd play all the way through. He's going to get that six minutes at the start of the fourth quarter because you know they can give the ball to, to Kyrie, let him run, you know, what's going to be a lot of uh, pretty much a second unit. And, uh, you know, Kyrie might score 26 in the quarter like he did uh, against the Timberwolves. Um, now, unfortunately for the Mavericks, they were digging their way out of a 26 point lead. So it wasn't enough. But my point is, the non-Luka minutes are no longer like, oh, my God, look out. But if I'm Luka, like, why do I have to make a change? Why can't you just bring somebody else? Like, I'm I'm the younger, you know, talent. I'm the one who's been part of this organization. I, like, let the other player adjust. And I guess what you're saying, Tim, is that he's already at the point where it's just like, yeah, that's all right. Like, I, I know what I can do. I don't need to show it all the time. And Luka, ultimately... His, he was a champion before he got to the NBA, both, you know, Eurobasket with Slovenia, uh, Real Madrid and in, in, in Euroleague and, and, and in the Spanish League. He wants to be a championship player. And it's like you can only do so much uh, as the one man show. And look, it ain't like 
they traded for Kyrie Irving and then let Luca know as the deal was agreed to. Like Luca wanted this deal done. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Luca wanted it done badly and Jason Kidd wanted it done badly are the primary reasons that they ended up taking what's really a pretty massive risk. I'm glad you mentioned Jason Kidd too, because he's the one who said, hey, uh, we're going to win with offense and uh, maybe, maybe we don't need all this defense. And then the last two games before the break, they give up 57% shooting and lose both of those games. Um, you mentioned no Dorian Finney-Smith. They don't, it's not like they have a great shot blocker in the middle. Who then is responsible for motivating that side, for getting that side of the, of the ball right? And CJ, like if, as a player, if your best two players are clearly offensive talents, and you have to sort of fill the gaps defensively. Like, how does how does that start to work? Who has to be in charge of that? Yeah, I think role players are essential to success. And I think a lot of people don't realize it until you get to the playoffs. And you see Grant Williams hit seven or eight threes in an elimination game. Like, you need a role player that's capable of having one big night to win you a game. And you also need role players to just do all the little stuff that either the stars can't do or won't do. Set good screens, make the extra pass, box out, be PJ Tucker, where you just guard the best player on the other team. And you don't care about getting shots. You don't care about touches. You might get a couple grenades down the stretch. Like your job is to just do whatever it takes for this team to win. I think every team needs a group of those players who have accepted a role and understand that role. And if you surround them with stars, or a couple guys like Kyrie and Luca, you have a chance to have success because no matter how bad the defense is, it's hard to stop Kyrie and it is very hard to stop Luca. Mm-hmm. And if you put them in a seven game series where you get to play at home, then you're going to have moments where they're giving up a lot of points, but you know that one of the, in one of these games, someone's going to score 20 and a quarter. And if you're not down 20, that swings the entire game. It swings the way the game looks. And you talked about minutes. Those non-Luka minutes have hurt them historically. For instance, we were down 34, I think. Luka goes out of the game. Mm, we, almost, we almost win the game with no Kyrie, right? Like, that's important because in the playoffs, everybody's minutes goes up about five to seven minutes more mm-hmm. per game. And if you know that you can rest Luca for three minutes instead of six, Kyrie can hold down the fork for a little bit, keep you afloat. You bring Luca back in, play through him. Now Kai gets to rest and they kind of play off each other. Similar to how we did it in Portland, it gives you a puncher's chance. And that's all you can ask for in the Western Conference is a puncher's chance to win games and get yourself as close as possible to the finals. Tim, are we talking like Reggie Bullock and Dwight Powell have to do all the lifting here, or is it another player off the free agency wire? There's a reason Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock both averaged about 40-plus minutes per game in the playoffs last year because they were the essential, don't need the ball, but space the floor, going to guard the other team's best players. Dorian's gone, right? He's in Brooklyn now. Josh Green has moved in the starting lineup. Josh Green quietly has had kind of a breakout season for the Mavericks, really smoothed out his three-point shot. He is a, an NBA athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to have to play a lot of minutes for them. And then Maxi Kleba, I am not a doctor despite spending eight years in college, mm-hmm. but Maxi Kleba, this has to be a, a record for returning from a uh, from a torn hamstring. You know, he told us before the break, he thinks he's going to be ready to roll coming out of the All-Star break. They need Maxi. He is, he's, it's, you know, he's a three and D big man, basically. Um, they got to be careful with his minutes, but the, the Mavericks are 24th in the league in defensive rating. When Maxi's on the floor, it, it's a, it's a number one defensive efficiency. I mean, that's how important he is to what they do defensively. He's not like, you, you don't think of him as a, as a rim protector, but he's that kind of hold everything together, switchable big man. And the other thing is, look, Christian Wood's a really talented offensive player. When he's the lone big man on the floor, they they score a lot and they give up as many, if not more. But Wood and Maxi together has actually been a, a, a very solid pair because Maxi can cover up a lot of uh, a lot of C. Wood's defensive deficiencies. Did he just indecisive in college, or uh, what happened? Why'd you take four years or eight years to get out? <laughs> I, I always felt that academics were the most overrated aspect of the college experience. And so, uh, yeah. you know, that, that, that's kind of how it rolled. I actually went to a, I went to a D2 school in Florida to, to hoop and major in business. And neither one of those lasted for one semester. So <laughs> it was a whining path out of that. Which part of Florida? St. <laughs> Pete. Oh, okay. That's a nice place. 
It worked. It worked out well for you. Breaking news, in case you guys aren't checking your phones like I am, mm-hmm. uh, the Atlanta Hawks have dismissed head coach Nate McMillan um, from the Atlanta Hawks. Since this just happened, this wasn't on our sheet. What does this mean for the Atlanta Hawks? Wow. Well, this means that uh, Quinn Snyder. I mean, it means to me that Trey Young is very is you know going to be there for a long time. It's going to be their franchise player because it's obvious that it was something there with him and Nate that just didn't vibe. And well, now there's also out. something. There was also something with the previous coach there that didn't vibe. Um, it's interesting. It seems to be a trend developing there, but who's to say? Um, look, man, it's there's been a lot of messiness in Atlanta this year. Like you fire when you fire both the GM and the coach midseason. Um, you know when you have uh, a, a front office that's led by a, a now a young rookie GM and you know and the owner's son. It could I'll just be that he out. wanted out, seeing that sort of that play out with the front office and that sort of unorthodox group, uh, very young group of their mid thirties uh, front office people, um, and he was just like, maybe that's not for me. Maybe he sort of saw the writing on the wall there. And again, we're all just talking, uh, learning it off the top of our heads here, but um, it didn't feel like it was going to continue to go well. Like that one playoff push that they had was about as good as it was going to get. And it just seemed like they're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall here in terms of like how to build a team. CJ? I got to be careful what I say here. But, <laughs> CJ? Um, I want to see more AJ Griffin minutes um, just because why not? Great shooter, plays the game the right way. I think Atlanta has a lot of stuff going on right now. You guys have referenced mm-hmm. young um, front office multiple coaches kind of leaving. There was a lot of trade rumors surrounding this team around different players. The guy with the bounce that dunks a lot is also with Excel. Won't say his name. Everybody kind of knows who I'm, who I'm referencing here. They got a lot they need to figure out and they need to figure it out fast because we're in the era of player empowerment and player movement. And I think what we've seen historically is that when there's smoke, there's fire and it's burning. It's, it's burning. burning. It's burning a lot. And and look, they also they made a big move over the summer to go get DeJounte Murray. And the people who were against it in the franchise are no longer with the franchise, right? The people who felt like they were giving up too much. Um, well, you know, they might be still getting checks, but they're they're not working for the Hawks anymore. Um, and the 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 risk of that move, forget like, has it has it paid off yet? Has it really benefited them? It, DeJounte Murray, CJ, unless you guys tweak the CBA to where extensions aren't based off what your current contract is, there's no way that he's going to extend off that contract, right? He's he's being paid well below what his you know free agency market value would be. And so, like we can talk about possibly when you say player movement, player empowerment, people think of you know the, the guy who's on the the max deal you know, being Trey Young, but like the, the DeJounte Murray thing is also something like, let's keep an eye on how that thing develops down the road, especially, you know, if, if he feels like this isn't maximizing my talents to be playing with a, uh, a, a guard who dominates the ball. Yeah. I thought there was um, a few signs down the stretch before the all-star break. I think it was four or six that they lost, including the last two going into the break against the Hornets giving up 144 and then losing by 21 at home to the Hawks. So it felt like things kind of got to the low point in terms of basketball there during the break and uh, need to move on. By contrast, the other side, Jacques Vaughn got an extension with Brooklyn after Mm -hmm. uh, doing an impressive job there. But uh, I guess we'll see what happens with Atlanta because, I mean, I don't know if if there's a coach out there that's just going to be the magic elixir that fixes that combination of roster and front office. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
Hey, before I got on, did you guys um, get the chance to talk about uh, Trigger Trey Murphy III's uh, slam dunk competition performance? We did not talk about Trigger Trey III. So let's shout out to my guy, Trey Murphy, who put on an absolute show in the dunk contest. It just so happens that he was going against a very determined Matt McClunk. I'm curious. I don't know how much you've talked to him, but, you know, it's no surprise. It's no coincidence that Mac went last. Like the league knew that he had a chance to do that. Um, did Trey, like, what were you guys or he talking about in terms of the competition going in? Um, as the saying goes, the script was written. <laughs> um, the NBA script had Mac winning the dunk contest and he showed out and showed up. I knew the height thing was definitely going to play a factor for Trey with Trey being like six, nine, he's super athletic. His head's by the rim every dunk. But when you're like five, 10, five, nine, white, like I was gonna say, let, <laughs> come on. There's a little other factor yeah, yeah, yeah. there. I mean, it just looks different, right? Like it's, as it's, they say, as crazy. they say in Utah, he's uh, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> so much better. It's so much better when you say it. Um, it it looks better. Like shout out Mac. Mac put on a show. He deserved to win. The dunks were crazy, but it's like it's almost like like Mike. Like he's so short, so explosive. He makes those dunks look so easy. He makes it look so casual. Like the average fan. It's like wow, like he's like I'm taller than him, and I can't do those dunks. You know what I mean? I, I think also that... feel like the hairstyle even adds to it. He's got like a I don't know what like a you know he looks yeah. like some you know suburban uh, you know <laughs> kid in math class out there like throwing down five forty windmills. He yes. looks like a um, like a cartoon character to me. He looks like a you know what do they call him in the newspapers? The um... caricature. No, just a little comic character. strip. He looks like character. a comic strip character it's to definitely me. Definitely a good one. Uh, but it, it is impressive. Like, well, first of all, the the whole idea of like bringing in like pro dunkers in the past, like CJ, you've you've heard about this, you know. Uh, oh, let's let's get some actual dunkers in there, not put all the pressure on you know the greatest dunkers in the NBA um, to to embarrass themselves. Because frankly, you guys don't work on crazy dunks. Like, you don't work on that stuff unless you are you know competing in that thing. And so when Mac comes out there and looks, looks polished and looks like, you know, he's been practicing these, it's because he's been practicing these his whole life. He's got them on, he's got them on social. He's got the no look one that he had probably in his back pocket that he didn't even uh, utilize. And so I'm a huge fan of, of doing that, of bringing in people who are prepared for that, as opposed to just ones that piece together what they can, when they can. So like, what from what you saw, CJ, what was like Trey's approach to this? How much time can you actually commit to this? Once Trey found out he was in the dunk contest, he began working on dunk ideas. I think the Jose one was very underrated and that the casual fan had no idea what that meant because they don't watch Pelicans basketball and Valley sports. And the creativity behind that was really dope. The dunk was obviously high degree of, of difficulty, but the, the casual fan didn't didn't appreciate what went into that gamesmanship. He had that one dunk that I had never seen before where he cocks it back and then he cranks it. I had yeah, never two seen dunks that in one. before. That was, that was wild. And then the through the legs one was on 2K. Like back in the day where you had the 2K dunk contest, you used the analog where you would throw it up and just do wild dunks. So that was a dunk that I hadn't seen in person, but I had seen on the video game. So he he put some, some, some time and some thought into it, but it's hard. Like unless you just study YouTube videos and then you have like yep. crazy hang time, like you can see a dunk, but to, to repeat the dunk and make it look as good is, is very difficult. And there I thought he two, did, he did really well. There are two superstars though, who I'm pretty confident in saying they've got a deep, deep, deep arsenal mm -hmm. of contest worthy dunks. Were they drafted back to back? Yes. Mm -hmm. And obviously <laughs> Zion was hurt this year, but like we got to get those guys in the dunk contest. People want to see Ja and Zion in the dunk contest. Like, I don't know how you make it. Okay, how much? Like, how can, can you start a GoFundMe? I will say that Z, if Z wasn't injured, he probably would have considered doing it. This isn't me speaking for him. This is just me just kind of knowing him. Like, he's the type of guy that would want to be the star that does the dunk contest and wins it. Mm -hmm. He just got to be healthy and, like, things got to be going well. But I think – I. I could see him doing it at some point. Because there's no way he's going to embarrass himself. Like, or job. Like, whatever they try, they'll make it. <laughs> yeah, and they do dunks that are dunk contest worthy in games. So it's not like yes. it's not like it's an experiment. Like, Ja almost went underneath both legs, like on a casual fast break, which is a 50 dunk.
So I think for Ja, he just doesn't want to do it because he's been asked about it so many times. So I just feel like he's just like, no, a billion likes. But I mean, if you go through a few years, he probably could get a billion likes to do a dunk contest. And like, <laughs> yeah, five, like, is there a time span on those likes? <laughs> five years from now, he's doing the dunk contest over the billion likes. But no, I think you guys are, are definitely right. There's two things I wanted to make sure we touched on before this podcast ends. One is West, Russell Westbrook. And two is Patrick Beverly saying that um, he wants to eliminate the Lakers from the playoffs and that there's two games that he's specifically looking forward to playing against the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm. Pick your topic. What was the first one again? Russell Westbrook. Let's go Russ. And obviously Russ is, uh, it, he's one of the most polarizing players, certainly in, in, in recent history. Uh, just wrapped up a five-year, I'm right, still getting paid out, but the contract is, is done. A five-year, five-team Supermax deal, unprecedented in NBA history, quite an accomplishment in and of itself. Um, I'm fascinated to see how this is going to work. I do think he got too much blame for whenever things went wrong in LA this year. Um, you know, he he came off the bench, like whatever. I I, I thought he got like Russ could, there were games where he played well and people wanted to blame Russ. Um, but I didn't necessarily see that as like, I know he's played with Paul George before. Obviously they've got a good relationship, but to me, you need that point guard who can play off the ball there, who can space the floor. who's comfortable, you know, getting into your offense and then not having the ball in his hands that defenses are going to respect as a spot up shooter. Uh, and Russ is a lot of things, but he ain't that. I mean, who are you looking? We're talking Bones Highland. They still have. Uh, did they get? They still have uh, Reggie, right? If Bones, no, no Reggie, no, Reggie's, he Reggie's, gone. Reggie's gone. He's okay, in. So, he's in Denver because they so, didn't want Bones Highland anymore there. Right, right. So Bones and Russ are basically the overlap there. Like they're the dynamic guard off the bench that you would try to bring off. And I think Bones has a lot more to offer right about now than Russell. And I don't know if they can play all of them, all three of them, anyway. If Bones was playoff ready, the Nuggets wouldn't have traded him for a couple of second round picks. Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's if I'm like CJ, come on. Like I think he's in LA because Paul George and Kawhi wanted him in LA. There's no way that trade gets done without them signing off on it. So in my eyes, Paul remembers his time in OKC, was arguably the best year of his career in OKC, mm-hmm. playing alongside Russ. They know what type of teammate he is. They know what type of personality he has. They are all from California. I'll, I'll be different parts. They know each other. Russ isn't afraid of a moment. Swish or side of the backboard, he's going to be the same. I'm just keeping it, but like yeah. he's he's un, unfazed. He's going to be himself. They know what they're going to get from him. He's going to play hard. He's going to defend. He was playing more efficient basketball down the stretch of that right before um, All-Star break. He was getting to the free throw line. He was knocking down threes at, at points in time. His percentage may not show that for the whole, you know, 50 games, whatever it was. But that last 10-game stretch, like I was watching games, and he was shooting threes confidently, getting to the hole, finishing around the basket. More of the story is they feel like they can trust him in big moments, and I think that's why they brought him in because they know some big moments are coming for that team. I don't think the Lakers are really cowering or shivering or – anything in their boots over what uh, Patrick Beverly had to say. So uh, which is the more impactful signing, would you say, than Westbrook or Kevin Love in Miami? Because they need a power forward and shooting badly. And that's, you know, two and one. And, you know, K-Love still wants to get paid next year. So he's going to try to show out there. I think Love is a better fit in Miami than Russ is for the Clippers because Miami mm-hmm. specifically needed a shooting role-playing big who has winner's DNA, is going to sacrifice. He's definitely going to make the body fat that Miami requires. Um, he just knows how to be a pro. For Russ, it could work, right? But on paper, like you said before, the Clippers basically need somebody to just bring the ball up and throw it to their stars and get and get out of the way right. and be ready to catch and shoot. Like, Eric Gordon could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, they yeah. just need somebody to bring the ball up and throw it and get out the way. So that that's the that's the difference in these two situations. Yeah, I, I I just I think the fit with Russ is awkward. But honestly, the fit with Russ is awkward when any time when the ball when he's not going to be uh, dominant with the ball. And you know, and and we've seen that uh, over the last couple of years. He's en route to the Hall of Fame. 
because he was one of the most dominant players with the ball in his hands. But even though it worked with Paul George, and that's the one time I think he did adapt, uh, I just I question the fit there. Whereas with, with Kevin Love, it does seem to be. I mean, we're not thinking he's going to be, you know, thirty thirty Kevin Love or anything like that. But the the fit for what the Heat needs is is really clean. Last thing I, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say I'm happy to see Russ in this situation because he took a lot of blame, mm-hmm. a lot of unfair criticism at times where it was just like it's all Russ's fault. But in reality, like they were just playing bad basketball as a team and they blamed him. The guy that was playing 26, 27 minutes a night was blamed for the entire right. um, success or failure of a franchise. So I'm interested in seeing he's already adapted once, right? He adapted to coming off the bench, playing with the second unit. If anybody can handle this situation is T. Lou. Hmm. It's no, I agree with that. And I also think that uh, the second Russell is embraced rather than looked at as the scapegoat, then I think he sort of becomes more comfortable and even takes another step and, and is that much more helpful. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, I guess. Um, what happened, CJ, because somebody asked you this <clears throat> earlier in the year, um, what happened to Kevin Herter's powers? <laughs> if Kevin Hart outshoots you in a three-point shooting contest, does he need to see a doctor? Uh, did this happen recently? He in this this three-point shooting contest, Kevin Herter, I think, put up oh, a six geez. spot. Uh, and Kevin Hart put up an eight. I'm gonna blame it on the weekend. Uh you know altitude, what? you get drunk faster with the altitude. Kevin Herter in Utah, that yeah. makes so much sense. It was getting I think after. we're done here. Oh, hey, I he get, think he about. Get, hashtag nightlife really got a hold of him. Hashtag yeah. relatable. Yeah, that's all. I, that's all I got, and I, I appreciate you guys joining, Tim. Thanks again, Izzy. Glad you haven't quit the podcast just yet. Um, <laughs> I'm out to go see some OTE playoffs, though. I'm out to go see all some right. future NBA players. Nice. So I'm going to go get treatment now and get ready for this early practice. Although I'm extremely excited about this because I love basketball, and this is important for our development as a team to get back locked in after rigorous days of all-star break festivities now just take that slide. and give that to the local media you don't have to say yeah, it again i was gonna say you slide right into team spokesman mode that's good and i'm drinking water because <laughs> i was gonna say what, what what's in there <laughs> no alcohol until dinner <laughs> we should all have so much restraint <laughs>